Welcome back to another edition of the Freeze Frame Podcast. I, of course, am Zach Freeze. Um, episode two. Um, if you listen to episode one, um, first of all, thank you for listening to episode one. And uh, I think this is kind of going to be my format of what I want to do. Just the first 10 to 15 minutes, like I said, going over what the you know, what, what happened in college basketball over the past, uh, week or a couple days, um, and then get into an interview. And today, uh, I was lucky enough to be joined by Kevin Sweeney, who writes for uh, sports illustrated. Um, so that's coming up later, but I came up with a, with a goofy name for what I'm going to do at the beginning of the show. We're going to call it the freeze frame five. I'm just going to go down uh, five topics or five things that happened um, in the last uh, week or so that caught my eye. So at number five, I'm going to talk about um, the Bearcats. Um, and just so you know, the Bearcats are probably, Cincinnati Bearcats are probably going to be in the freeze frame five every week just because uh, I'm so locked in to, to UC. I'm going to have something to say about them. So, uh, since last episode, Cincinnati picked up a win against Central Florida, uh, the Central Florida Golden Knights. Uh, but then they followed that up with a brutal 101-94 loss in overtime. And it was really frustrating. I mean, it was a game where your best interior presence, Victor Locken, goes down with injury. And you're thinking – that's going to not bode very well for Cincinnati. They come back after that, and they go on a nice run to close the half. They lead by nine at half. You're feeling pretty good. Um, and even in the second half, Tulane, Tulane took some punches, but Cincinnati punched back. Um, they held, I believe, a, you know, they still held a six-point lead with a couple minutes to go, and then they just couldn't. First of all, they couldn't get the stops in the second half. Tulane, a very good offensive team. They scored 55, and, and they were abusing uh, Cincinnati inside. Uh, they were just making it – they were getting easy look after easy look at the basket. Um, and then Cincinnati had a couple shots. Landers now only had a couple threes that spun around and didn't go down. Um, they had some good looks. But uh, they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't get it. Get them to fall, and uh, that's uh, that's a crushing loss. That that one really hurt because you were still in a position to win, even with Vic going down. Um, but I, I I give credit to Odi Aguami. He played really well. He had um, sixteen points, thirteen rebounds. He's not really been an offensive threat this year. But when uh, when Vic went out, he he stepped up and played well. But um, I mentioned before how it's important. I think last week they've got to win. They got to start beating some decent teams. UCF was was a nice win um, at home, but this one, when we're looking at seeding for the AAC tournament, you want to get that two or three seed so you avoid Houston in until the finals. But now it's just going to be an uphill climb. Tulane moves to nine and three in the league. Cincinnati is at seven and five. They're still in the five spot and and. Not a great place to be, um, so they're really going to have they, – they've got some their work cut out for them if they want to somehow get to the three line 
Um, and then obviously you just hope Victor Lockin isn't hurt too severely. Um, he, it looked like, it looks like it's an ankle sprain. So, I mean, those can be kind of tricky. Hopefully it's not a, a lengthy absence because they desperately need him. They're going to be, they're going to be in trouble if they don't have Victor Lockin. So disappointing, uh, for Cincinnati, they'll play, uh, South Florida this weekend at fifth third, number four, Tennessee. And I feel like we do this. I do this every year with Tennessee where I'll, I'll fall in love with them at different points of the year. And then I'll remember that they're just terrible offensively. Um, this is a team they're great. They'll guard and they're number one in adjusted defensive efficiency at Ken Palm, but they're brutal offensively and they, they beat Auburn, but did they, did they beat Auburn though? It was 46 to 43. It was some of the worst basketball. It was one of the worst offensive displays I can remember. It reminded me of watching UC play Pitt at the garden in 2014 and Titus Rubles at a stick back with like a second left and Cincinnati got out of there with like a 44 43 win. I think it was it was on par with that, maybe worse though, cuz there were so many threes shot in this game and missed. Um and Tennessee won, so you got I guess I guess you give them credit for that, but then they follow that up with a loss on the road at um at Vanderbilt and one of the things with Tennessee, I think that maybe is a problem for them I don't really know who their who the alpha on this team is. Like, who's the guy? Because I think they have plenty of good players. I think they have plenty of talent. But on the offensive end of the floor, who is who is kind of the guy that t- is going to take control down the stretch? Santiago, uh, Santiago Vescovi is their leading scorer, but hasn't shot the ball particularly well this year. Um, I mean, Zakai Ziegler's good. Um, Josiah Jordan-James is a veteran. But I just – they have a bunch of good players. I just don't know who who's the guy down the stretch. You're saying, go get me a bucket. And Vescovi hit a big three last night um, in that game. They end up losing on a buzzer beater three in the corner. But I just don't – I don't know about this Tennessee team. You know they'll defend, but – I I don't want to say I, I'm I can't wait to pick against them in the second round because I'll get burned by it, and we got to look at the bracket. But I just man, they really they really struggle on the offensive end. I I don't know I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if that's a team I'm going to pick. Um, I see myself picking to make an extensive run uh, in the tournament. Number three, um, two teams that at different points had faltered in this season. Um, and I think they're both kind of finding their footing again. One of them, Indiana, Indiana is white hot. So they've won seven of eight. Um, they beat Purdue over the weekend. Um, it's funny. I was talking about how great Purdue was and how great Kansas was. They both lose over the weekend, but, um, Indiana, man, this team, I think it starts with them defensively. Uh, they were, a pretty bad defensive team to start the year from, from their first game through the middle of January, they're about 79th at Torvik in defense. And since January 14th, since that seven of eight stretch winning seven of eight stretch started their uh, 26. So they've made a jump defensively. 
Um, and they're the, also they've been the seventh best team in the country since then, according to Torvik. So Indiana making big strides. They're looking like the team that was picked to finish first in the Big Ten. They're not going to finish first. Purdue's going to win the league, but they're starting to play really well. I think getting Race Thompson back helped. Um, and Trace Jackson Davis is an All-American without without question, bar none. If uh, if Zach Eadie's the player of the year, Trace Jackson Davis is a, as sure of an All-American as there is, I think. Uh, and then the other team I'm I'm impressed by, UConn, uh, started 14-0. and Then they faltered. They whooped Marquette. Uh, they've won three straight now. They they had a little bit of a scare against Georgetown. It was a little hairy late, but they beat DePaul. They beat Georgetown. They took care of their business, and then they just shellacked Marquette. If they can somehow go to Creighton and get a win, um, that would be uh, that would really, I think, put them firmly back into like this is a really good team. Well, the metrics and the computers have loved them. They're they're seventh at Torvik. And by the way, I, yeah, I'm an analytics nerd. Okay, I like numbers. Um, the eye test is cool. It's great. I know, but I, I like I like the numbers too. Um, so if I reference that, just know I'm a numbers guy. I like I like numbers. Um, they'll play at Creighton, um, and then they've got uh, Seton Hall, Providence, St. John's, DePaul. And Villanova, so not too, not not a terrible, terribly hard uh, road down the stretch for UConn. That's a team I like. I really like Jordan Hawkins. That's a guy. If you're just now getting into college basketball, you know I know the NFL is about to wrap up this weekend. Jordan Hawkins, I think, could be a guy in March that the casual basketball fan. I wouldn't be surprised if he popped off in the NCAA tournament. He has been uh, he's been on quite the tear. He had. Uh, He's seven straight in double figures, including a couple. He had 28 against Xavier, 26 at DePaul, 20 against Marquette. He's really starting to elevate. Um, he's, he's having a really good year. Um, number two, as, we, as I talked about teams that are kind of finding their footing, two Blue Bloods that are really in a tough spot right now, Kentucky and North Carolina. These are two teams that were preseason, I believe, top five. Carolina was number one. They sit 15 and nine. I believe Joe Lenardi had them in the first four, last four in. Kentucky right now um, is also in that last four in category. Um, Kentucky, I'll start with them. They, they got blown. They got their doors blown off by Arkansas and Arkansas doesn't have Nick Smith. They don't have Trayvon Brazil. That was just a, after it looked like they were starting to play a little bit better, that was a kind of disheartening loss for them. Um, this is just a team right now. They, I think coming into the season, most people thought they were going to be elite defensively or they were going to at least be very good defensively. Jacob Toppin, you got, um, Case and Wallace, um, Chris Livingston, they're freshmen, but they're, they're, the, the idea was that they're going to be a really good defensive team, and they just haven't been. Um, they got obviously crushed by Arkansas, but this is a team right now. It, it, this is going to be close, I think, for them getting into the tournament. They've got, what, 
eight, seven games left, seven games left. They've got they've got some tough road tests. You're going to to Georgia, who isn't very good, but they could lose that game. Mississippi State on the road next Wednesday. Mississippi State's playing really good ball right now. Then you play Tennessee at home, at Florida, Auburn at home, Vandy at home, at Arkansas. If you go four and three, you maybe feel okay, but that's gonna be that might not be an easy task for this team. Oscar Shebway looks like a shell of himself. Um, CJ Frederick has not shot the ball very well at all. Um, Jacob Toppin's kind of been up and down, and he people thought he would be a, a decent shooter. He hasn't really shot the ball great from three. And um, plus all the, the whole thing with Cal and the lineups and not kind of tinkering with the lineups, not knowing who to play. Um, Kentucky, a real concern, I think. And you look at North Carolina, I think their resume might be worse than Kentucky's. They have one quad one win, and that was against a not good um, Ohio State team. Armando Bacot's comments were, were alarming to me, talking about if you don't want to be here, just quit. Um, that just makes me think this isn't a team that's very connected right now. They're not connected. Now, the good news for them, the ACC, not very good. But North Carolina still has some tough games on the schedule. They're playing Duke. They're playing Virginia. Now, both of those are at home. They're going to NC State. But this two-game stretch for them, Clemson, who's a, another bubble team in the ACC, and then Miami, a very good team, Um. Both of those are at home. They got to win those games. Like they're going to have to win both of those games to feel at least comfortable about where they are in their in their bubble status. So North Carolina and Kentucky, I never thought I would sit here on February 9th and be saying both of them are firmly on the bubble and I think both of them are going to be sweating it out on selection Sunday. If you made me pick one or the other, who do I think is more likely to miss the tournament? I think Kentucky is probably more likely to miss the tournament just because I think they have a tougher schedule. And I I just think, I don't know. At least you look at the Carolina team and, all right, they made the the finals last year. And I know it's a different, it's not the same exact team, but they have most of the guys back from that roster. So, they're they're in a similar spot to this last year, and they they pulled through. So um, we'll see what happens there. It'll be interesting, nonetheless. And then my number one, the gift that keeps on giving Jim Beheim. This is perfect. Two weeks in a row, Jim Beheim being a part of this podcast, and this was perfect. He comes out in a piece, I believe. To, it might, I think it was ESPN um, talking about complaining about all of these ACC teams buying, not all of them, but these specific ACC teams buying their teams. Wake Forest, Pitt, he says, oh, they buy their teams. He has to walk it back because, well, of course, that's not true. Steve Forbes, head coach of Wake Forest, didn't know what was going on, didn't understand why he he was getting thrown under the bus. Um, So Jim Beheim has to apologize for that. And then if that's not enough, he throws his 
his donor, his number one donor under the bus saying, oh yeah, all he gives is 20,000. You know, we, we, we only get, our guys are only making 20,000. We got other teams in this league where guys are making six figures. The bus is coming by and Jim Beheim just threw his number one booster under it. I think that is honestly hilarious and so out of touch by Beheim. It just goes to show you if you he is <laughs> he can't buy he has to he has to point out and make excuses as to why he doesn't have it anymore. He's gotta he's gotta say, well the other teams, they're just buying players. Well, Jim. We're in the NIL era. Find if you if you don't like that, then find then then get someone to buy players. I don't know. He's complaining about all of this. I just find it funny. He has to make excuses as to why he's lost lost his touch and doesn't have it anymore. Um, hopefully, he comes out next week and and keeps going. I, I've loved this the last the last two weeks. He's looked like uh, looked like a clown. So um, I think that wraps it up for the freeze frame five. Um, we are now on to the interview with, uh, sports illustrated's Kevin Sweeney. So freeze frame podcast. We now welcome on Kevin Sweeney, uh, college basketball writer for, uh, for sports illustrated Kev, I, uh, Kevin, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I want to start out with something I ask pretty much everybody I have on here. What's your earliest like college basketball memories whether it be like in person, maybe going to a game or watching on TV, what's your like early memories? So I think my my most vivid young college basketball fan memory is um uh, so I grew up in upstate New York in Albany, New York. Um and I was probably nine years old when Sienna like really peaked. I don't know if people remember when Sienna oh, yeah. beat Vanderbilt one year and then the next year beat Ohio State and then pushed Louisville in the NCAA tournament. So the year that they beat um, Ohio state was the latest game mm-hmm. of the night. It was like a 10, 20 tip. And I was, you know, nine. So my mom was like, you can't stab and watch this game. And I was of course, curious. <laughs> but my mom was like, well, you know, we'll record it. We'll, we won't bring in the newspaper when we get up in the morning, we'll watch the game in the morning and you won't know what happened. I was like, all right, cool. So I woke up in the morning, we watched the game. It was a, I think a double overtime game. Sienna hit a, buzzer beater to tie at the end of regulation and then a buzzer beater to win in overtime um and still have the like newspaper clipping of it uh from beating ohio state when i was you know nine in my like childhood bedroom somewhere so that kind of made me fall in love with it you know sienna's for for those that don't know is like a three thousand student little private school in the northeast that has no reason being like had, had no reason to be as good as it was that year and hasn't been as good as that since um, and I kind of wish that happened a little later in my life. So I had like full appreciation of like how crazy it was that they were as good as they were, but, mm-hmm. um, those were fun teams coached by Fran McCaffrey, obviously he's now at Iowa and, um, I'll, uh, I'll remember those forever. So that's, that's how I fell in love with it. And it's been, uh, it's been onward ever since. Yeah. I vaguely, I ve- it's funny you mentioned that. I vaguely remember that too. Like Sienna and like, um, like, Ra- uh, Raftery had like, oh, he had like a really yes. He the onions double order. Yeah. 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 Onions double great, order. Great call on that game. Yeah, I remember I remember that one too. Um, I want to talk about just like just some general college basketball stuff with you. We'll start with the preseason number one team. It was North Carolina. And they've kind of they, they feel like they're in the same spot they were in last year in terms of kind of record. And you know, they're not 
you know, they're, they're not quite living up to expectations. Do you think this is maybe who they are or do you think, well, like they've really underperformed because last year, you know, they were eight, nine and an eight, nine, and they, you know, they, they played, you know, they got hot at the right time. Do you think, because it's essentially a similar team, just swap out uh, Brady Manick and put Pete Nance in his place. Do you think it's more of like, this is maybe who they are and, or do you think like, wow, they've really, they've really underperformed? I think it's probably closer to who they are than what March was. I think, um, I think they're better than their record. Um, but I also think that at the end of the day, a team that's built like North Carolina is, which is not a lot of depth, relying on two very volatile guards who take a lot of bad shots. Um, that type of recipe is not built to win in the regular season. And quite quite frankly, we don't have the data points to say that Hubert Davis is like a a great coach yet. We don't know. I mean, it would be great if he is, because he's just wonderful to be around. Like genuinely seems like the nicest person that like has ever walked the face of planet earth. But like, we don't know yet that he is, he's certainly not Roy Williams. And we don't know yet that he's among the elite coaches in college basketball. So if you just say, decent coach two volatile guards that's yeah. not and, and a good big that's describing like miami most years not yeah. north carolina so, so i right. think i'm not surprised i mean I'm, I'm surprised but i'm not like floored that they're in this mm. spot i mean it, it is funny the parallels because you know the the pit loss does feel like the oh this team might actually not make the NCAA tournament and they probably right. will but like yeah. this is the first time where you actually can think about that right and last year it was a loss to pit in mid-february that was like, uh-oh, North Carolina might not make the NCAA tournament. And then they won their next five. They won at Cameron. They mm-hmm. lost in the conference championship game and obviously went to you know the national title. So do I think a turn quite like that is coming snap of fingers? Probably not. But I think you know people will forget about a loss to Pitt if they win at Cameron this weekend. And I, I think that this team still has major March upside because they have those two guards and they do have that dominant interior presence and they are old and they've been mm-hmm. through it. Um, you know, Caleb love can shoot you out of a game, but he can also shoot you into one. And, and if they defend like they did in March, which there's no reason they can't, they can't, there's no reason they can't lock in and focus the way that they did for those six, six games. They have a chance to be pretty good. They have a chance yeah. to, to make some noise. So another, um, another blue blood, I guess you could say that has maybe underperformed, um, Kentucky, their preseason top 10 or uh, what do you think? Do you think this team could still reach that ceiling that because they, you know, you have final four aspirations and it's just been kind of a, a wonky year for them. They weren't very good early on. They somehow won at Tennessee. They've been playing better lately, definitely. But do you think this is still that team that maybe in the preseason, a lot of people were high on? Could they? Are they still a team that you could see maybe making a deep run, or do you think this is just kind of a team that, and eh, they're they're good, they're just not gonna ever get back to that or get back to get to the elite le- elite level that a lot of people thought they they might be at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I haven't seen that gear from them yet. You know, maybe they can get there, but to me, like I just see a team with limitations, a team that doesn't have a ton of shooting, a team that really struggles defensively in ball screens because of Oscar. Um, you know, when, when teams can put him in space, they've really, he's really struggled some kind of weird identity things as they still kind of figure out the severe Wheeler, um, arrangement, which is obviously he's, his minutes have faded substantially here lately. Um, you know, I, I think, I think they will be okay. Like, I think they're for sure a tournament team. I think, um, you know, 
I actually thought that against Kansas, they played really well. I know they lost at home, right? but I, I thought that Livingston and Toppin played some of their better basketball that I've seen from them. I just thought Kansas was really good and poised in some of the key moments of the game to make big shots. So I, I think Kentucky will be okay. I, I just don't know that I see the ceiling because like, I, I don't watch them and say, see a team that's overly talented. Like, right. Like, and I, part of that's because they went portal and kind of by design did not get as talented because they wanted a team to fit together better. But if you're still looking up and saying, I don't know how well this really fits and they're not that talented. I don't know how you're making a case for, Oh, this is a, you know, elite eight, five, right. four type team. Um, you mentioned Kansas and that was going to be my next thing. Big 12, obviously they're, you know, unbelievable conference this year. Um, it's jumbled at the top. Uh, Texas has the advantage right now. They're one game ahead of kind of a crop of other teams. Who do you see right now? Or who do you think, like if you had to say, who do you think wins the the Big 12? Or do you think it could be a share? What do you think? I mean, it, I'd be stunned if it's not some sort of tie, but obviously yeah. you'll have tiebreakers. Right. I, I think I'll take Kansas. I, yeah. I, I, th- I believe in Kansas the most. I just think they're so so steady. The way that Wilson continues to come on and, and build confidence has been really impressive. And to me, like one of my favorite players of the country is KJ Adams. Like the, mm. the job that he does, like he can really, really pass. He's been awesome in the short role. He's so efficient around the basket, has great touch, gets to the free throw line, has hung in really, really well defensively. I mean, if you look at the games they've played against big time opponents with big time centers in particular, right? Like you look back, you say, well, you're playing Indiana. Well, he outplayed Trace Jackson Davis that day. Okay, you play Kentucky. Okay, he has 17 points and super productive, and Oscar was really quiet in the first half, came on a little bit in the second half once KJ got in foul trouble. But he has done an unbelievable job uh, matching up with really good centers. I think that has to really inspire confidence about this Jayhawk team, and it's Bill Self, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Texas is still being coached by Rodney Terry. Tech- Kansas has Bill Self. I will take Bill Self every time, and if I lose all my money, I lose all my yeah. money. I, I'm with you. Uh, I'm, you're gonna if you bet against Bill Self, you're probably going broke. So, um, uh, you don't see coaching. You don't see too many mid-season coaching changes, or not changes, but like coaches announcing they're stepping down mid-season, or coaches getting fired mid-season. That happened at at Notre Dame. I'm curious what you think. How good of a job is Notre Dame? And if you're the czar of Notre Dame basketball, and Ke- Kevin Sweeney gets to make the higher, who are you or who are you targeting? Who are you reaching out to? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a good job, not a great job. I, I think there's actually some appeal uh, in this day and age. And I was talking to a, a prominent mid-major coach about this in the off season. Um, there's so much made of like, Oh, NIL, NIL got to go to a place where I have a lot of money. I need to be able to play, pay, pay players, whatever. I think that's great. But I think at the same time, like, if you're trying to coach in the SEC, right? So if you, and I'll use Porter Mosier as an example, because Porter Mosier is a guy that people will mention at Notre Dame. And I think he'd be a great fit at Notre Dame. Porter Mosier's at Oklahoma. Great. He has money to spend on players. Let's assume he does. I don't know for a fact, but it's Oklahoma. We we can, we can generally assume that they have a solid NIL collective. Right. Great. But every single team you're playing against also has legit cash and probably Mm -hmm. more of it. Like Texas has more cash than you. Uh, Kentucky has more cash than you when you move to the SEC. Kansas has more cash than you while you're still playing in the Big 12, right? Like, realistically, Oklahoma's not outbidding anyone in their league for recruits. If you can be at a job like Notre Dame, 
where, yes, you have to compete against Duke, yes, you have to compete in North Carolina in the regular season, but there are, I think, manageable expectations, and you have something to sell that isn't just, hey, we can pay you more money, right? Like, good academics, good location, amazing brand, right? It's one of the most iconic brands in, in college right. sports. I think there's there's huge upside to being at a place like that because uh, you can recruit your type of kid, right? Like Porter Mosier won at Loyola with like smart kids who wanted to develop, who wanted to work. You can get that type of kid at Notre Dame. I'm not sure you can win with that type of kid at Oklahoma. It's going to be really hard to do that just because of the talent and the athleticism in those leagues. I think Notre Dame fits a guy like him really, really well. I think it fits a lot of guys really well. Uh, like Pat Kelsey at College Charleston will be in the mix. Personally, I don't love the fit as much there. Yeah, I think he, I think his energy belongs more like a kind of Southern football school where he can go transfer heavy. But he's been at Wake Forest and Xavier, so there's some some logic right. there. Chris Quinn, um, the Miami Heat assistant and, and a Notre Dame guy, he will be in the mix. Um, and, and yeah, people will throw out Chris Holtman. I, I think Notre Dame will call Chris Holtman, uh, and maybe if this thing continues to go off the tracks at Ohio State, maybe he says, "All right, I'll take a fresh start." Uh, that'd be a slam dunk, in my opinion. Um, but I still think Holtman will be the head coach at Ohio State next year. So you're a uh, you're a Northwestern grad, and um, this has been you know they've they've been good this year a little bit. You know, last year they had 15 wins on the whole year. This year they got they're at 15 right now. Um, but you look at the last last night was a missed opportunity losing to Michigan, um, and the schedule down the stretch is pretty brutal. I mean, it's a gauntlet. How, where's your confidence? Where would your confidence level be in them getting back to the NCAA tournament? Would have more confident if they hadn't gotten handled by Michigan. <laughs> home yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think they've done a really good job and they've, they're just a very connected team. La the last five years under Chris Collins, they've finished under 500 each of the past five years. And I've been really critical. And I felt like, honestly, they should have made a move last off season. And it was because they struggled so much in close games. And this year, they've just had a belief about them when they get into those moments that they aren't going to give it away. Um, and, and it's been impressive. And, and so, yeah, they, they gave one away they probably shouldn't have yesterday against Michigan. I think they'll be okay. Um, but the the next two games are critical. There, there's such a narrative right now about Northwestern of, oh, my gosh, the defense is so improved. The defense, the defense, the defense is so great. It's actually interesting. From November 1st, through January 1st, if you look on uh, Bart Torvik's database, Northwestern was a top 10 defense in the country. That was where the narrative was built. Right. Where it's a defense, defense, defense. Since then, they're outside the top 100 in defense. Teams have kind of figured out how to play against these post traps and the, and the doubles of the switching that Northwestern does. Northwestern's picked up for that, made up for the fact, by, made up for that fact, excuse me, by making shots. Boo Booey and Chase Audis, two of the best guards in the league, have really been efficient in the first month of the year. If they start shooting it poorly, which they have now in two straight games, the wheels could come off the tracks quickly. And Northwestern has had 10-game losing streaks multiple times in Big Ten play under Chris Collins, including a 13-game losing streak the year that they started 3-0 in the league. So, again, it could it could yeah. fall off the rails really quickly here. But they've, they've, they've built up so much equity by winning at Indiana, winning at Michigan State, beating Illinois that they're in decent shape. They've got two road games here coming up that I think decide their season at Wisconsin, at Ohio state. You win one, you're still on track to make the NCAA tournament. You win two, you're in really good shape. You lose both heading into Purdue, Indiana, Iowa, Illinois, Maryland, Penn state, and Rutgers to close the year. You ain't dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you some, uh, I'm going to give you some rapid fire real quick. I got go. some, some quick ones for you. 
What's your uh, what's your favorite arena to catch a game in? Um, I'm gonna I, I go to State Farm Center in Illinois regularly, so I would say that one. That said, my favorite arena I've been in is the Pit at New Mexico. Ooh. I went two three weeks ago. That place was bananas, absolutely oh, yeah. insane. That's yeah, I've that that does look crazy in in New Mexico. Um, you went to college in Chicago, so I gotta ask, what's the What's the best place to get pizza in Chicago? God, you're gonna get me in trouble. I know. Um, <laughs> I would say I'm slight. I lean Lou Malnati's over Geo's. If we're just doing the Lou's versus okay. Geo's, okay, okay, do that. All right. Um, I haven't had either, so I've I've heard of both, obviously, but I haven't. I I'll, I I need to try. I've heard good things about Lou Malnati's. So, um, college basketball coach, you'd most love to get a beverage with. Um, I'm going to exclude all coaches I've actually had beverages with. This qualifies. I I think I think I would just post up with Bob Huggins. Oh, see yeah. how long, or yeah, see how long I could go until passing out, and see who else comes around <laughs> him in the the remainder of the night because a lot of people will come and go. I yeah, I'd love being a Cincinnati guy. I'd love to. I'd love to have a, a drink with Hugs. That'd be that'd be on the bucket list. Um. Who's a player that not enough people could be a mid major, could be a high major. Who's a player not enough people know about or are talking about? That's a hard question. That is a really um, hard question. Very vast, very vast. It is. Landscape. I'll take Bryce Hopkins at Providence. He's been unbelievable for them. Um, you know, big, physical, tough, makes plays. Has is a huge reason they're right at the top of the East again. And then my last, my last question: a dark horse Final Four candidate. Creighton. Creighton yeah. is Creighton is really good. They never stopped being really good. They lost six in a row because they had the most banana schedule I've ever seen in terms of mm-hmm. travel and their best player got ill. Right. Um once he came, like they were good before. Their good player got injured or got sick. Their good player stopped being sick and they started being good again. Right. But now we have to like <laughs> prove they have to they have to beat like Georgetown and DePaul so that people are are sure that they're good again. No, no, they're good. They never stop being good. That's like a top ten team in the country. Right. They're gonna get like a seven seed and they're gonna make a huge run and maybe make a final four. I was just gonna say I I feel pretty bad for whoever this the if they're a seven or eight that one or two seed that they play that's gonna be ah man that you're getting a you're getting a tough deal you're getting a tough draw on that one. Um, Kevin, thanks so much. That's all I got. They can follow you at CBB underscore central on Twitter, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and obviously, we have all of our written work over at uh, Sports Illustrated, SI.com. Um, we got a great team over there doing some, some I think, really cool coverage in college basketball uh, all March. So uh hope you guys check it out and uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks so much, Kevin, man. Have a good one.